0: Um, I'm guessing you probably got more sleep than I did last night, unless you're also battling a head cold. So I'm going to do like arm's length hugs today. Uh, Anyone else just fighting a head cold, the flu, going around your house? Anyone? A handful of you? Uh, I'm I'm not trying to expose you or anything. I actually want to pray. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we pray against sickness and disease this morning. Your word tells us that we can come boldly before your throne and that we can ask for healing. And so, Lord, we ask for healing this morning over uh, this congregation, Lord, for anyone who's battling any kind of sickness, any kind of illness, any kind of disease, Lord. We ask that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a good way to to start off a message right there. Well, we are in week three of a series called Rooted and Established. And if you would open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 2, Ephesians 3 and Colossians chapter 2. So if you find Ephesians and you flip over a few more pages to the right, you'll find, uh, you'll find Colossians. It's a short book. Um, but we're going to land in those two books uh, this morning. Started this series, Rooted and Established, and it's not just a series for us uh, over these next few weeks, but it's also our theme for 2017. Uh, as I've shared before, each year I, I, I come to prayer before the Lord, and just ask Him, Lord, where is it you're leading us this year? What is the, the word, the prophetic word, even, that, that you would want to speak over our congregation so we can um, set our sights on, on the things that you would have for us this year and we can be intentional about investing in those things? And as I was praying, uh, it was rooted and established. Was what came to my heart and mind, and uh, in talking with with my wife Megan and and um, with our staff, uh, just that seemed like that that word just really resonated. We shared that at our church family meeting a couple weeks ago. Um, what I love about rooted and established is it fits so well with the name of our church and the direction God's leading us, uh, specifically in regards to our vision. As Rosie mentioned earlier, our vision is to help people thrive in Christ. Helping people thrive in Christ is what we're all about. And, uh, and you might be saying, well, Barry, I come here regularly, and I already know that. And you're going to get sick of me saying that, and that's okay, uh, because I think we can't be reminded enough about what our vision is. You know that sometimes we lose sight of people. You know what I'm saying? We lose sight of people. We get busy with stuff. It's, as For me as a pastor, it's easy for me to get busy with the stuff of ministry. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes kind of stuff that goes on uh, to make Sundays possible, to make these ministries happen during the week. There's a lot of logistics stuff, a lot of administration stuff. But at the end of the day, helping th- people thrive in Christ is our focus. It's about people being connected to Jesus. And I never want us as a church to lose sight of that fact. John 10.10 John 10, 10 is our core verse for our church, and it says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other translations translate that as abundantly or overflowing. We would insert there the word thrive, that Jesus wants you to thrive That the enemy wants you to do everything but thrive, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Christ has so much more for us. So rooted and established really ties into that. And we're going to look at some things this morning that will help unpack that a little bit more. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about seed and soil. We took two Sundays to unpack some, some thoughts out of Matthew 13, as Jesus talked about seed being sown onto the different kinds of soil. If you missed one of those sermons, you can catch them on uh, our website, thriveglendora.org, or if you are uh, uh, on iTunes on the podcast there also, uh, just search Thrive Glendora and you'll be able to, to find those. Um, the, the big takeaway from the last two weeks, this is going to be the short, shortest recap I've ever done. I'm I'm determined to do this. The seed is always good, and the condition of the soil of our lives will affect our fruitfulness. The seed is always good. The condition of the soil of our lives will affect our fruitfulness. There it is. Recap done. All right. Today, we're going to shift gears a little bit. I want to speak about standing firm. We're going to talk about standing firm, and it's really that the, the focus now goes from below the ground, what's happening below the surface, to what's happening at ground level and above. And so to get us started, we're going to revisit Ephesians 3. I want to read this passage, and I want to share some thoughts with you. So Ephesians 3, chapter, four, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, says this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Sounds good, right? I like that. He goes on to say, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. That's going to be a key point for us today. That it surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure, to the the, the greatest capacity possible of all the fullness of of God, which ties right back into, are you desperate for the presence of God? All the fullness of God, everything that he would have for you, you know, the, the prophet Isaiah ended up having this, this vision where he was in the presence of God, and it wrecked him. It wrecked him. He's standing in the presence of God, and his words were, woe is me, for I am undone. I am, I am an, a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And he was undone. The glory of God was just too much for him to handle. Yet the Lord lifts him up and he says, no, Isaiah, I've got work for you to do. And I'm going to cleanse you and I'm going to do a work in you. And then I'm going to release you to do the things I've called you to. The fullness of God is an awesome thing. And so when we read that, we need to somehow grasp in our minds, in our finite thinking... The, the, the magnificence of what he is saying there. As I shared over the last couple of weeks, Paul is really excited about what he's talking about. Um, what he's sharing here with the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus, uh, it has got him excited. If you read the tone uh, of the book of Ephesians, there's just this, This overall excitement, Ephesians doesn't have so much of a a corrective word. Paul's not correcting wrong behavior. He does have some warnings for them, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, but he's not addressing anything that's like radically wrong in the church. Really what he's talking about is the unity of the body of Christ and how we've all come together and how the gifts of God and the fullness of God is available to everyone, that no one, no one misses out. No one's left out in the cold, as it were. That, that the fullness of God is available to every man, woman, boy, and girl. That doesn't matter what your background is. And the more Paul talks about this, the more excited he gets. And, and, and you, can, you can just sense in his tone as he's writing that he wants them to grasp a hold of this because it's amazing. It's incredible. But here's the thing. It's not the only place in Scripture where we hear Paul use this kind of language. And if you read uh, the epistles, the, the letters that Paul wrote to the different churches and to different people, you, you'll, you'll catch some of the same tone. Before that, though, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. Who knows what that is? Any, anyone tell me what that is? Any builders in the house? It's a bracket. It's a hinge. It's, it's, it's a framing bracket. There's a, there's a specific name for it, though. No, it's a thingy. Yes, that's it. It's a thingy. Um, this, and, and it's not surprising that we don't know what this is. First, if you're not in construction, you won't know it. But we also don't live in a part of the country where these are needed as much. This is called a hurricane strap. It's a hurricane strap. And this is used in construction where the roof joists, the rafters of your house meet the walls of your house. Um, What what they used to do is they would just nail those two pieces of wood together. And what they were finding was when winds would start blowing and there would be hurricane force winds that you would find parts of your house strewn over miles and miles and miles. And so someone devised this little piece of metal. I mean, all it is a little piece of stainless metal that's bent and it's got some holes in it. And that every roof joist where the rafters meet the top of the wall, they put one of these hurricane straps in, and they nail it into those two pieces of wood. They also use them in the foundation, and they'll uh, anchor the sill anchors into the foundation. When they pour the concrete and the cement, they, they, they have these pieces of metal that stick in, in into the wet concrete, and when it solidifies, it holds them in, and then they nail those pieces of metal to the base of the wall. And what that does, if you've ever seen Video footage or news news footage of an area where an, a hurricane or tornado has blown through, you know, there's that one house that's still standing. It's probably because that house was built using hurricane straps. That and and it's it's like a dollar dollar fifty piece of metal. It's just a small piece of metal, but it makes all the difference if you don't have it. A five hundred thousand dollar home can be blown away because these weren't used as we talk about being established today i want you to just keep thinking hurricane strap okay every time we talk about being rooted and established just in your mind immediately automatically just think hurricane strap he's talking about hurricane straps now not literally but, but figuratively in our lives. See, because what Paul's trying to do here in Ephesians and in, in Colossians when we look here in a minute is he's providing the church, the believers with spiritual hurricane straps. See, because he's noticing in the world and the culture that they were in that there were gale force spiritual winds that were starting to batter against the church and there were people whose lives were being blown away. Their faith was being blown away because they lacked the basic things they needed, the basic understanding they needed to keep their faith intact. So when I say established, what do you think? Oh, wow. Okay, there was like four of you. When I say established, you think? Hurricane hurricane straps. And now you know a little bit more about construction too. We started this last week, as was mentioned during announcement, the Truth Project, a 12-week or 13-week DVD series that focus on the family produced. And it really centers on, uh, the big word would be apologetics. The, the, the better way to explain it would be developing a comprehensive biblical worldview. We all see the world a certain way based on where we grew up, the home that we were raised in, the values that we inherited and, and we interpret the world through that lens. And the thing is that we bring our worldview, our understanding of the world around us, to our relationship with the Lord. I, I do want to encourage you, if you're able to on Thursday nights, come join us. It's a, it's a powerful series. We can catch you up on this last, this last week. But it's, it's really one of the most effective programs that I've seen um, in helping people really install hurricane straps when it comes to their faith. One of the questions, though, that they ask in the series is this. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? It's a great question. It's a dangerous question. It's a... Difficult question, because it, it really causes us and would, would really necessitate that we take an honest look at our lives. Because if I believe that what I believe is really real, it must, not should, it must have an impact on the way that I live my life. Would you agree with that? Yeah. That if I believe that what I believe is really real, it must have an impact on on the way that I live, yet so often I look at my life and I go, that doesn't line up with what I believe. So either I don't really believe it or I'm lazy, distracted, selfish, right? And the list goes on and on and on. Do you believe that what you believe is really real? John ten ten says that the goal of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy, that he wants to undermine every good thing that God will ever do in your life. Just know this. Every good thing that would ever come into your life because of a relationship with God, the enemy's goal is to steal it, kill it, and destroy it. And that's all he knows what to do. From, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, that's his MO. That's all he knows what to do. He wants to distort He wants to pollute and he wants to distract every aspect of goodness in our lives. He wants to challenge our faith in the same way that he went to Eve and Adam in the garden and said, did God really say? No, the word really, he challenges the reality of who God is in their lives and in ours. With that in mind, let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 through 8. Colossians 2, 6 through 8. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. He says this in verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. As we look at these two passages out of Ephesians and Colossians I want to I want to give some context. In scripture context is critical. Actually, in life, context is critical, right? We understand that, that throughout the world around us, things are communicated, whether it's in the news media, whether it's in the church, whether it is just you sharing a story with a friend, that when things are shared out of context or, or, or statements are shared out of context, lives get damaged, right? Nations are undone when things, wars have started because things were shared and spoken, and done out of context. When it comes to the Word of God, context is critical. What is context? Is simply asking this, why did Paul write these things, and who did he write it to? Why did Paul write these letters? Why did he write these things to these people? Why, what was the reason? What was the circumstance? See, because we can't understand how Scripture applies to our lives until we understand how it applied then. Because Paul didn't write these letters to us. Now, we have the benefit of them in our lives, and and it is Scripture. It is a part of what we call the canon. It is a part of what early church fathers put together and and inspired by the the Holy Spirit said, this is the Word of God, and, and we have that for us today. But we can't take Scripture and just apply it, just carte blanche, and say everything. Otherwise, we'd be doing all kinds of crazy things. Am I right? I mean, just read Leviticus. Hello? Yeah. Okay. So we have to understand the context and who it was written to, and, and this is where the Holy Spirit will make Scripture come alive to us so that it, it's applicable to our lives. See, here's why context matters. If I said, hey, I've got a letter this week, that's, that's great. If I said, I got a letter from my wife, and she was expressing in that letter her love for me, that would be awesome, right? But if I said, I've got a letter this week, and it was a letter from the IRS telling them I owed them money, <laughs> not so awesome, right? Context matters. So here's, here's what's going on in these two letters. And uh, Ephesians and Colossians are actually very similar in the way that they're written uh, Colos- uh, Ephesians is longer than the book of or the letter to the Colossians, uh, but they share a lot of similarities. Here's what happens in both letters: they're both written by Paul uh, from a jail cell or from prison while he was in Rome, and they were both written in the same year. Both letters were delivered; they were hand delivered by a gentleman named uh, Tychicus. Tiki, Tiki, I had practiced it before service. I'll blame the cold. Tychicus. And, and Paul put this letter in his hands and he says, I need you to take this letter to to the church in Ephesus and I need you to take this letter to the church in Colossae. Both of them were meant to be read aloud to the entire body. It wasn't just a letter to the pastor or to the leadership. It was These were letters that were intended to be read aloud to the entire church. And Throughout both of these epistles, we find similar language. Paul uses similar language, which, if if you're writing two letters at the same time, you're probably going to share some of the same language, right? Oh, that sounds good. I'm going to tell them that same thing as well. Um, but it's written in context of what he knew, what was happening. Um, one of those, by the way, that will, as we heard already, is the phrase "rooted and established" uh, in Colossians. It's t- translated rooted and built up, but it's the same, the same Greek word there. Who is Paul? Paul is an apostle. He's charged with the, the care of many congregations. And this is in a, in a time where we didn't have denominations like we do now. It is the early church, and things were growing fast. Uh, revival was happening and, and, and churches were popping up as, as uh, people were persecuted and as they spread throughout Asia Minor and that whole area all the way up to Rome, churches were popping up and they needed leadership. And because they didn't have the Bible as we have it today, the apostles were charged with making sure that the churches were first cared for and the leaders were developed. Um, but he was also charged with maintaining sound doctrine. See, because we can turn to the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. The early church didn't have that. And so they were relying on the teaching that had been handed down from the apostles, from, from people like Paul and Peter and their missionary journeys. And they were taking notes about what they had heard because these men had been in the presence of Jesus. And they were relating the things that they heard through the, the means of even these letters, saying this is, this is what Jesus taught and this is how he told us to live, and so Paul was a guardian or a protector of doctrine, and so anytime he heard of doctrine being messed up in a local church, he would write a letter and say, guys, okay, let me remind you of what sound doctrine is, about who Jesus is, and what the, the nature of the church is, and you know, what, what it means to, to, to have a relationship with God, and, and, and how you're saved, and how Jesus is the only way to, ha- to enter into this relationship, and he just kept pressing sound doctrine. So that's who Paul is. We have to understand his audience, though. Uh, The church in Ephesus uh, was along a major trading route. In fact, I have this map up here. So you see Ephesus, that would be in what is modern-day Turkey, right on the Aegean Sea. Uh, Ephesus was a major crossroads uh, for Asia Minor, where uh, these trading routes, these overland trading routes would come Right there to Ephesus, it had uh, easy access and protected access to the Aegean Sea. And so ships would be able to come and receive cargo. And, uh, and so it was a major trading port. Um, it was a diverse city. Because of that, there were so many people traveling. There was a lot of diversity. There was a lot of customs and languages and cultures and religions and ideas were present in Ephesus. It, uh, Ephesus had a, a stadium. That would seat 25,000 people. And you can still go to that stadium to this day. A place still exists. Um, and Ephesus was also the location of the temple of Artemis or Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, and a major, major source of income for that city. Both in tourism and then as people would buy artifacts to uh, worship Diana. So a very worldly city, very, it was a metropolis, it was bustling, there was a lot of activity. The church in Ephesus, by the way, was an amazing church. They, they grew rapidly, they were doing good things, good work, and, and a lot of people were sent out of the church in Ephesus to other places. A hundred miles, about a hundred miles to the east, just south of Laodicea, is the city of Colossae. Colossae was similar to Ephesus in that it was a trading city. It, was, it also lay along two major trading routes, uh, with the exception that it was not on the sea. It didn't have access to a port. Um, also a diverse city. People from all of the surrounding areas and nations had gathered there. Its biggest claim to fame was this. Uh, this fine purple wool that was produced by the sheep. And I don't know if it was dyed, as I, I did some research on that. I don't know if they were purple sheep or if they dyed the wool purple. And if, you know, quite often what would happen is that as animals would eat certain plants and, and those, that, that kind of thing, you know, it would color. But I couldn't find anything definitive, so you use your imagination. Just know they had purple. And in those times, purple was valuable, it wasn't a color that was easy to come by. Um, And so purple had value. It was used for royalty. Colossae was also a place where Gnosticism or early forms of Gnosticism were practiced. And this is important for us to understand. See, Gnosticism is this. It's the combination at a very base definition. The combination taking various religions... And picking the best aspects of those religions and then kind of consolidating them into one way of thinking. I put it this way, just covering all your bases, right? That's Gnosticism. It's, and, and at the center or, or the heart of Gnosticism was this, is that certain people received special knowledge there was a special... You would have this special understanding that was given to you. And, and those on the inside had a higher level of revelation. And so the goal was to be on the inside crowd, right? So Colossae was not very different to what it is today. You wanted to be a part of the inside. You wanted to be a part of... And it, and it appealed very much uh, to human pride. It's, it's my thinking, and, and I want to have... This special revelation and so both in Ephesus and in Colossae in the influence in that region, uh, higher thinking and and, and intellectualism was really the king of the day. Having better ideas than the next guy and, and, and coming across as someone who knew better and and if you seemed like you were you knew better and ha, were very charismatic then people would kind of flock to you and would want to kind of get in with you and find out what it is that you knew the problem was is that this started seeping into the church and very obviously we can see that that's not in line with what sound doctrine would be right see because it's not what about what i think it's about what god says it's all about what He wants for my life, not about how enlightened I think I am. See, for both cities, the gospel and the church was under attack. The gospel and the church was under attack. The winds of, of, of change, the winds of abuse, the winds of, uh, of challenging doctrine were starting to blow and beat against God's house against God's people in those communities. And so Paul writes to them in both of these letters, first of all, to reassert that Jesus is the head of the church, that Christ is supreme. He he reigns supreme. He is the head of the church. And then that church, specifically in the book of Ephesians Needs to be united. And he talks about the purpose of the body of Christ. In Colossians, his focus is more on the headship of Christ because of the Gnosticism present in that day. He also wrote to correct wrong teaching, that there were outside teachings that had now come into the church and were making their way through the people. And so it would look like this. Jason, I'm going to borrow you. Come up here for a second. It would, it would look like this. We would be in a worship service together, and at the end of the worship service, we've heard the teaching for the day. I would say, hey, Jason, come with me real quick. We're going to come over into this corner. And, man, that was all, wasn't God moving today? Wasn't that good? Absolutely. Well, let me tell you, on top of what we heard today, I've had a special revelation about how we're supposed to worship God. And then I would start spewing whatever, my bent was, whatever my perspective, whatever my self-serving thing was. Now, Jason would walk away going, huh, that sounds really interesting. There's some real value to it. it. It sounds like it has merit. And so he would start sharing because through my special revelation, now he's got a bit of a special revelation and he's feeling like, wow, Barry shared that with me. How cool am I? Well, I want other people to think that I've gotten a special revelation. And so this starts popping up throughout the church. You're awesome. Thank you. Can you see how that would just kind of start seeping throughout the church and start affecting the way that people understood who Jesus is and his purpose for the church? Distortions of the truth. So Paul writes to correct these wrong teachings. He also writes to encourage the believers to be on guard against those who who seek to divide the church in the same way, it would be those that not only say, "Hey, let me share this with you." Hey, we're gonna we're gonna go do our own thing because I found a better way. Let's let's go do our our own thing. And we still talk about churches dividing today. And and the number one reason that happens, by the way, is still pride. It's people getting in the way of what God wants to do and not submitting and humbling themselves. Before the Lord. The same thing is still pervasive. And in both letters, he shares instructions, some practical things for households, for children submitting and obeying their parents, and the nature and the the way that husbands and wives should relate to each other and their behavior. Makes it really practical. I like the practical stuff. So, context. That's a lot of context, but it's helpful. Because when we talk about being rooted and established, we now now know, you guys all thought of hurricane strap, right? Okay. When I say established, (laughs) it helps us understand why Paul was writing to them and what the occasion was, why it was important. Can I just tell you, the world that we live in is not very different from Ephesus and Colossae. See, because we live in a crossroads community now, because of media and because of our accessibility to information, ideas, we don't have to live next door to someone to know their ideas or what their ideas are. And you have people sharing ideas at a rate that's unprecedented in the world around us, right? Anyone on Facebook? Anyone sick of Facebook? Right? Because all it is, is that's your idea. That's your idea. That's your idea. And I'm going to, and the person who posts the most, like, wins, right? Not really. But we have this collision of ideas and thinking. Turn on the TV. Listen to the news, right? And whether it's politically motivated, whether it is socially motivated, whether it is religiously motivated, no matter what it is, we are living in a time where there's this collision of ideas and, and, and constantly I see people who, who say that they love Jesus and have received, received Him as their Lord and Savior walking around in a state of confusion, going, I'm not sure what it is I'm supposed to believe anymore. I see believers attacking believers, railing against the body of Christ and in the, in the church of Jesus. Because I have a better idea than you do. And I have some divine insight or some moral high ground or some perspective that you don't have. And, and by the way, it sounds a little bit like this. You're welcome to have your opinion as long as, as long as it's the same as mine. You're welcome to an opinion as long as it lines up with my opinion. Oh, by the way, but you need to be tolerant. Tolerant. And we've lost the ability to objectively, first of all, look at the Word of God and understand how God is calling us to live. We have people who are living their lives based on a reality that isn't the reality of Scripture. Just like in Ephesus and Colossae. And so Paul says to them, continue to live in Jesus Christ because you received Him. The seed has been planted And the assumption here is that there's growth that's already taking place. He says, continue to live in him. Don't stop. Don't hold off. Don't don't get distracted. You've received Jesus. You've made the most awesome decision, the biggest decision, the best decision you could ever make in your life. Don't stop. Continue to live in him. Being rooted and established Built up in him. And by the way, be strengthened in the faith. You have received Jesus. Here's the thing, church. If you've received him, he is working in your life. He is at work in your life. That's what Paul was all excited about. Church, this is available to you, and it's amazing. And if you would just receive it, it will rock your world. It will blow your mind. It will turn your life upside down. But you have to receive it. The word rooted there, he uses the perfect tense. What does that mean? simply means this. It's a present state in my life resulting from a past action. Something happened in the past that has resulted in me being the way that I currently am. Right? Present tense would be this. I go to Donut Men every day. Three times a day. Present reality... Yeah, well, you know, right? <laughs> the doctor going, you need to lose weight or have a heart attack. That's your options. <laughs> what I do in the past affects my present. When I receive Jesus at any point in the past, if I come to him and say, I receive you as the Lord of my life. I ask you to forgive me. I turn my life to you. I want to follow you with every part of who I am. That's a done deal, and it affects your present reality. What is your present reality? You are a son and daughter of God, entitled to everything that he has, co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus in the kingdom of God. That's your present reality based on a past decision. You have been rooted. But then he says you've built up in him. Now, built up, he uses a Greek word that, that is a, a present tense word. What does that mean? I had to go back and study English again. It wasn't my favorite. Present tense is this. It's happening right now. There's an ongoing process of being built up or established in him. That daily, weekly, monthly, he's adding more hurricane straps to my life. So that I'm not as easily blown away as I would have been yesterday. That I am being built up. It is a continuous, ongoing process that doesn't stop unless we get sidetracked. Unless we stop being committed to that process in our lives. And so we need to have a perspective that says, I want to be built up. I want to be established in who God is in my life. And his final thought there is this, strengthened in your faith. This phrase can also be Translated, established. It's a legal term. And it's used when a contract was signed, a binding contract. And it wasn't just the signing of the contract. It was the the process of actually living out or walking out the terms of that agreement or that contract. So when he says that you need to be strengthened in your faith, what he's saying here is you have come into an agreement with Jesus Christ. And it's a binding agreement. And unlike a a contract, it's a covenant. And in that covenant, Jesus is the one who is executing. He He is carrying out the terms of that covenant in our lives because we were unable to save ourselves. So he did that for us. But there's also an ongoing process, as Paul says in another place, work out your faith with fear and trembling. And that there's a process of growth. That needs to happen in Philippians, as mentioned during our prayer time this morning. By the way, 945 on Sunday mornings, we pray, and it's powerful. I invite you to come and be a part of our prayer time in the mornings. In Philippians, Paul says uh, that, that God is faithful to complete the work that he started in you. I'm not done yet, but I'm committed to getting done. Sound good? Be more established in your faith. If you didn't think about a hurricane strap, come on, hang in there with me. Be established in your faith. So he points to the good, but then he provides a warning in the second part where he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Anyone want to be taken captive? Does that sound like fun? Good. All right. No hands, thankfully. No one wants to be taken captive by anything. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Now, you may have read this passage before, and you're like, basic principles of this world. Don't know what that really means, but I'm just going to keep going to the next verse. Um, I want to help you understand what that means this morning. Don't be taken captive. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. Philosophy is... Man's thinking. It's man's thinking. It's it's our best ideas. It's us coming up with good ideas. And I'd mentioned a few weeks ago, on my very best day, I come up with bad ideas in comparison to who God is in my life. See, if I'm not relying on Him, if I'm not relying on the the Holy Spirit to to move in my life on the very best day, apart from the Holy Spirit, I come up with bad ideas. So when it comes to philosophy, right, we all think we're doing really good. And then I pick up the Bible and I read and I realize I'm not doing as good as I thought I was. Human tradition, human tradition says this, this is what we've always done. We've been doing this for generations and we're proud of it. Doesn't matter that it's broken. We just do it. Well, why do you do it? Well, because my dad did it. My grandfather did it. My mom did it. My grandmother did it. Back for generations. We've always and it's a matter of pride in our community. This is what we do. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. But I won't change because we've always done it this way. In tradition has such an effect on us. I had someone tell me once, you know, I wish we could go back to the way that God intended church. And I was like, well, what's that? And he's like, where women would wear dresses and hats to church and men wore suits. And I was like, you were so confused about what the early church was all about. Because hats and dresses and suits are human traditions. Stained glass is beautiful. It's a human tradition. And any man, woman, boy, or girl who says you have to worship God in a certain place, in a certain way, at a certain time, right, is missing the point. Human tradition. It has a huge effect. Not only is that what we've always done, this is the way we've always done it. It's the method we've always used. In the case of Colossae, it also tied into the special revelations that had been given. And so what was happening in the church was this. People were receiving Jesus, but because they had a Gnostic mindset, it was Jesus and. So I'll bring along all of the best aspects of all of these other ways of thinking and all of these other religions and just add it to my my, my relationship with Jesus. Is there room for that? Hello? No. Is there room for that? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I've shared this phrase before. I learned it my first week of Bible college. He's Lord of all or not at all. He's Lord of all or not at all. In fact, the, the, the term Lord means that. He can't be Lord of part of your life. He's Lord of all or not at all. And so it's not okay for us to introduce these different things in church. It still happens not in the church in the third world. It happens here. but Literally, in this church, I know that that happens. See, because we bring our ideas and we think, well, I'm just going to add that to, well, I like what you're saying, but, now listen, it's not my idea either, because if you just listen to this guy, I will steer you wrong. Not intentionally, but I'm fallible. I'm just a guy. It's this. It's the Word of God, it's the Spirit of God that would direct every step that we take to say that that's out of line. And By the way, if I ever say anything that, that you feel like, I, I I'm, Pastor Barry, I'm not sure, come ask me. Please come ask me. And we can have a conversation about it, a, a real conversation, not a conversation that says, I'm glad you have an opinion, as long as the same... As the same It's the same as mine. We need to be able to come to the Word of God and understand and seek understanding by the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about basic principles. What are these basic principles? A big part of Gnosticism was this, that the physical world, the tangible world was not spiritual. If you could see it, taste it, touch it, hold it, it was not spiritual. It was inherently evil. So only things that were spiritual or non-material were considered to be uh, holy or, or, or good. Um, and so in later on in Gnosticism, um, things like worshiping angels really took a, a, a front seat. The big problem with that way of thinking is this, in Gnosticism, that the God of the universe could not take on bodily form. Because the bodily form is inherently evil. Now, we understand from Scripture that sin is present, but it's the fact that Jesus was born sinless that made all the difference. But for Gnostics, they would have denied and diminished the deity of Christ. Is that a problem? Okay. They would have denied and diminished the deity, the Godhead of who Jesus was. Is that a problem? Yes, it is absolutely a problem. And which is why Paul says to the church in Ephesus and Colossae, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In him we move and live and have our being. That he is the head. That he and, and we are the body of Christ over and over and over and over again. He writes later to Timothy and to Titus in 1 Timothy and in the book of Titus. He warns them as well stay away from foolish controversies, from vain traditions and endless genealogies. Timothy at the time was in the city of Ephesus, and Titus in Crete. Stay away from foolish controversies, vain traditions, and endless genealogies. What is he saying? The early church, the modern church, it doesn't matter. The enemy of our soul is going to try and insert thinking into our church and into our belief system that distracts us from who God is. People will argue about these things. People will break relationship with other people over things, church, listen to me, that don't matter, that don't matter that are really inconsequential. And why are they able to do that? Because we're not rooted and established. We don't have hurricane straps for our faith that stops us from being blown away this way and that. James talks about people who are like in the ocean being tossed back and forth. There's no hurricane straps. There's nothing in place to hold them. Sound doctrine goes by the wayside. And can I tell you, in the same way that for a teacher the teacher gets a child for a few hours a week but teachers are not the primary educators in a child's life the parents are and it drives me nuts when i hear about parents shouting at teachers all the teachers in the house i'm on your side <laughs> you got 40 kids in your class and there's that parent in your facing it's your job to teach my kid and you just want to <laughs> Not what were you thinking? I was just saying not saying saying not not nice things. Listen, you can come to church every Sunday for the rest of your life and not get this because I can present the truth, but it's your job to embrace God's word, to take that seed and to make it a part of your life, and determine and decide in your life. I don't want to be blown and tossed back and forth. God, give me some hurricane straps. So I can stand so that the house doesn't come crashing down. And so with that in mind, Paul writes at the end of Ephesians. Thankfully, he doesn't just point out the error. He says, here's some tools for you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I like that power is a a theme throughout this. You pick that up. Strength and power is just throughout all the way. By the way, it says Ephesians 6.10. It should be up on the screen. Yep. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil, uh, the devil's schemes. They are evil. <laughs> for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Can I just stop there for a second? People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. People are not the enemy. And I think we've forgotten that in our country. That for a nation where we should be leading the rest of the world in what it looks like to love each other, to have differences and be able to talk about those differences in a civil way. Because people have lost sight of people. They've lost sight of who the enemy is. And people have become the enemy. And people are doing stupid things because of it. We need to pray for our nation in in regards to this. See, because the enemy is Satan and his desire is to tear this nation apart by spewing lies. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. There is something behind what's happening in our nation with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Church, that's hurricane straps. These are the tools that God has given us so that we can take our stand as the body of Christ. That we can take the stand in our home that we need to to take. That we could be rooted and established in every aspect, in every part of our lives. And by the way, God is involved and wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. Your finances, absolutely. Your work, absolutely. Your recreation, yes. He's even present there. Your physical body, yes. Your soul, your spirit, yes that there is no part of who you are that God does not want to be intimately involved with and bless the socks off of you. But we need hurricane straps. We need the belt of truth. Why? Because it holds everything together. See, because the Bible says that Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies and all he can do is lies. That's all that ever comes out of his mouth is a lie and those lies steal and kill and destroy. Those lies call into question the reality of who God is in our lives. And if we don't have the belt of truth securely in place, we will believe the lies. It girds us up. It holds us together. Where do we find truth? Right here. In the word of God that he has given to us, that he's lavished. By the way, we're talking about letters earlier, the greatest love letter right here to you. The breastplate of righteousness guarding your heart, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel that we need to be ready to go. Go across the aisle, go across the street, go around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people should be able to see the witness of who we are and who we live for. The shield of faith to protect us from the flaming arrows. The helmet of salvation protects your mind. Why? Because it is our thinking in our world, as it was for Ephesus and Colossae, it is our thinking, our thinking that we know better that gets better us in trouble and so we put on the helmet of salvation so that I always remember who God is and who I am not that I was not able to save myself it was only because of his shed blood and if I ever think anything different to that I'm wrong and he finishes with the sword of the spirit and comes right back full circle to the word of God which by the way, as we talked about in Matthew, is the seed. Is the seed. So that he continues to produce a harvest in our lives. Paul's passionate about this. I'm passionate about this. Because church, before revival happens, before revival can happen, we need to be rooted and established. Our faith, needs to be rock solid. You might be saying, well, Pastor Barry, I'm kind of new. I'm new to this relationship with Jesus. I'm new to church. That's okay. You know what you do? You start with the first hurricane strap, and then you add another one. One hurricane strap, by the way, won't hold a house together. It just won't. That we need to be daily adding hurricane straps to our lives. So that God, through His Word, by His Holy Spirit, can keep us held together as He intended. Let's stand together this morning. I want to ask you this question again Do you believe that what you believe is really real? And maybe a follow up question to that would be What do you believe? What do you believe? Have you taken inventory of your beliefs? Have you examined them in the light of God's word to say, yeah, this actually stands the test and maybe this needs to be thrown out? Maybe asking yourself this, well, I grew up in church and saying, well, I grew up in church, so what is there possibly in my faith that is more from human tradition than it is from the word of God? What is there present in my faith and my walk with the Lord that has more in common with human philosophy than it does the Word of God? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Maybe for you this morning, you've never heard this kind of thing before and this is kind of new to you. Maybe the idea that God loves you and has a plan for your life and that Jesus wants to extend himself to you and give you Blessing beyond what you can imagine as you walk with him. Maybe you've never heard that before. And if if that's the case, before we move on, I want to give an opportunity. If that's you and you've never said yes to the Lord. Usually what I do is I ask people to bow their heads and close their eyes for privacy. But you know, there's something about a boldness, right? If that's you today, my goal is not to embarrass you. We want to celebrate with you. that's you today you've never said yes to jesus and received him as your lord and savior and today you want to say yeah barry i want that would you just simply raise your hand so that we can agree with you and we can celebrate anyone today want to say yes i want what god has for me i want what jesus provides for me and only he can provide for me anyone today who would say yes all right i want to pray for you this morning as you do, would you ask the Lord to start showing you where it is you need more hurricane straps, where you need to do some work in your faith. Father, this morning I'm thankful for your word. Lord, that we can have letters written by a man who lived 2,000 years ago to ancient cities, to people who aren't alive anymore, at least not here on earth. And we can learn from what you wrote, where you wrote through Paul. Holy Spirit, that you love the church so much, that you inspired these words. God, I pray that for us as the body of Christ, that we would take to heart the things that we've heard this morning. God, that you would forgive us of our pride in those places where we think we know better. Lord, that you would rid us of any thinking that is contrary to your word. And God, I pray that we truly would be a church that lives out what we believe. That what we believe is really real and it must affect the way we live. Holy Spirit, bring that conviction this week, I pray. Cause us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue.